Welcome to this podcast for Asthma Open Cancer Horizons. My name is Anna Burkov and I'm interviewing today Professor Neil Halama on the topic Macrophages as Therapeutics, Repolarization Therapy in Colorectal Cancer. Dear Professor Halama, coming straight forward to my first questions, what are the special characteristics of the inflammatory microenvironment in colorectal cancer? Colorectal cancer is characterized by the presence of multiple different types of immune cells in the microenvironment, especially uh, T cells and myeloid cells. So the types of immune cells that are typically present in the microenvironment between different cancer entities can vary greatly. And in contrast to renal cell cancer or, or non-small cell lung cancer, colorectal cancer is especially rich in these myeloid cell types. Whereas for the T-cells, the effector T-cells especially, the prognostic role, the role for the clinical cause of the disease has been shown extensively. The role of myeloid cells in shaping the microenvironment and shaping the clinical cause has not been elucidated in great detail. And this is especially interesting uh, in the context of a failure of classical checkpoint inhibitor therapy uh, in in the classical microsatellite stable colorectal cancer. And uh, the, the setup and the role of different immune cells has been tried to unravel multiple times. Uh, there are a couple of conundrums and specifics in colorectal cancer. For example, the role of regulatory T cells, or so the T cells that are orchestrating an immune response um, has been debated for a long time. Because in contrast to other diseases, uh, case in colorectal cancer is that they have a positive prognostic role. So patients with a lot of regulatory T cells have a better prognosis. Um, and the question is, what is happening here? And what um, we and others could show is that indeed across the progression of the disease, the presence of these regulatory T cells um, goes away. Numbers um, are reduced, especially in the metastatic situation and in the, the metastatic lesion itself, the, uh, the numbers of these regulatory T cells is typically very, very low. And conversely as well, the uh, amount of IL-10 that is found is there. And this is something that's really specific for, for colorectal cancer and uh, at least indicates that this is a complex microenvironment with a complex interplay and the role why these changes can be observed and how they uh, affect the efficacy of checkpoint inhibitor therapies is not well understood. Thank you so much. You kind of already touched my second question that would be why are PD-1 access targeting immune checkpoint inhibitors are less effective in colorectal cancer if you compare it to other primary tumors like lung cancer or melanoma? Um, typically, these checkpoint inhibitor therapies in colorectal cancer were tested in a setting with advanced metastatic disease. And the phenotype in uh, the colorectal cancer liver lesions is one of immune exclusion. So the T cells, if there are T cells at all, if the T cells are there, they are typically at the invasive margin, at the border between the adjacent normal liver and the tumor cells. They're not so much on the inner part of the metastatic lesion, not so much in the adjacent liver itself, but at this interface. And they cannot invade, or at least they're not invading um, this, this tumor. And the interesting point is that the PD-1 positive cells are dominating the lymphocytic cell population in the microenvironment. And practically all liver lesions are PD-L1 positive. 
which means that not like or unlike in other tumors, these uh, tumor cells have PDL1 on the surface, so the ligand is on the surface of the tumor cells. That's not the case. In colorectal cancer, this is a very different setting where there's a specific immune cell subtype, a myeloid cell that is sitting at the invasive margin that is having PDL1 on the surface. So each PD1 positive lymphocyte that is entering the microenvironment is trying to access the tumor cells has to come into contact with these PDL1 positive myeloid cells. And this specific feature of colorectal cancer seems to play an important role in this setting. And uh, the other aspect that has been also shown by others extensively is that the numbers of T cells in colorectal cancer in many instances is rather low. So the uh, effective T cells that are, can be found in the microenvironment are reduced in number and this seems to be another limitation and seems to be of great importance also for the checkpoint inhibitor therapy and that's why uh, this doesn't work for the classical microsatellite stable colorectal cancer. The uh, rarer case of microsatellite instable uh, colorectal cancer, you can see that the numbers, the sheer numbers of T cells and effector T cells in the microenvironment is massively higher. This is a completely different microenvironment and the setup is clearly visible by looking at the numbers of T cells that there is a major, major, a major difference and explains uh, also possibly why the response in uh, microsatellite instable colorectal cancer is much, much better than in the microsatellite stable. So you lined out the important role of myeloid cells in colorectal cancer. How can these cells be targeted therapeutically? So the macrophage population especially, but the, uh, other myeloid cells as well, they have uh, an important role in tissue homeostasis from embryology to old age. So practically all um, maintenance processes of tissues involve the role of myeloid cells, especially of macrophages. So macrophages shape the microenvironment and the tissue in itself. And in in colorectal cancer especially, um, they are utilized by the tumor against the host. So there is a feature that shows that tumor cells are also depending on other cells. It's not that they are standalone and they can survive on their own, but there is a complex interplay, especially with these myeloid cells, that seems to, on one hand, protect tumor cells from the immune system, protect tumor cells from chemotherapy, and also, on the other hand, um, is supporting active tumor cells by producing uh, vessel growth factors, um, angiogenesis, new angiogenesis, and so on and so forth. So the plasticity of these myeloid cells, and especially macrophages, is, a, is enormously big. And this also means that their role in cancer and different stages of cancer is extremely broad. And understanding what role is desirable in terms of anti-tumoral activity is still out in the open. And that's what everyone is trying to do now to get a better grip on how these myeloid cells and macrophages act and how they can be modified to work against the tumor. Now, there are multiple avenues possible. 
And there are a couple of approaches that have been used for a while now, but there has been no convincing data in terms of understanding the mode of action, how these myeloid cells and macrophages are skewed. A good example is the bisphosphonate therapy. It typically is seen as a therapy that affects uh, bone lesions and the progression of bone metastatic lesions in patients. But we know that these bisphosphonates are mainly taken up by all kinds of um, phagocytosin and, and especially macrophage-like cells, and they modify these cells. And a better prognosis uh, is, has been observed for patients receiving bisphosphonates, uh, even if the uh, tumor burden in the bone is very small or even absent. So the question is, what, what happens here? And this is not, it's only poorly understood so far. And this is a good example of uh, sort of of a therapy that modifies myeloid cells specifically, but we don't still understand what, what it means. So this is just an example. There are a couple of other possibilities. One is to try to remove uh, myeloid cells and especially these macrophages from the tumor microenvironment. The CSF1 receptor based approaches that try to target these cells specifically, remove these myeloid cells from uh, from the tumor microenvironment and from the tissue. However, um, the problem here is that these um, macrophages and these myeloid cells are also possible effector cells. And this opens the door, of course, for intervention. And if you remove these cells altogether, you cause a lot of disturbance in the microenvironment. And this is not necessarily uh, to the benefit of the patient. And uh, so other possibilities include uh, radiation therapy that also activates macrophage uh, like cells and myeloid cells and others. Uh, but we don't have a, a good, uh, let's say, single inhibitor or a single uh, targeted therapy that specifically modifies a subgroup. Our understanding of these myeloid cells is still uh, so little that there are typically multiple effects happening simultaneously and the plasticity of these cells leads to effects that are unanticipated. So um, a, an example that we have identified is the CCR5 inhibition. Another good example is CCR2 inhibition. The previous or the first one leads to a repolarization of these myeloid cells and the latter is more and uh, has more an effect on distribution of specific subtypes of myeloid cells and coordinates their migration into the microenvironment. So the level of entry from the periphery, from monocytic precursor cells into these myeloid microfitosin cells um, is um, also a possibility to intervene. Uh, and, and hopefully one day we will be able to orchestrate the uh, pattern of activation and migration of these myeloid cells by different means and different uh, interventions that are then used for each cancer entity and each uh, metastatic stage or tissue involved. So looking a little bit in the future, in your opinion, how do we need to combine immune modulating therapies in the future in the special context of colorectal cancer? So this is a clearly a two-step process. We still need to better understand what the current therapies, what they're really doing, what their effect on the myeloid compartment looks like in reality in, in actual patients. And this is, of course, the key then to rationally design combination approaches. The ideal world, of course, is one where 
one can activate macrophages and other myeloid cells against the tumor, leads, which leads to production of interferons, of, of other uh, anti-tumoral effector molecules, and additionally leads to a better influx and a better infiltration of T cells into the microenvironment. So ideally, the activation or modification of the innate arm of the immune system is combined with a activation of the adaptive immune system. So the classical checkpoint inhibitor therapies that mainly aim on modifying T-cell activation, they are complemented and, uh, and so if you wish, are uh, reinforced or supported by an activation of this innate arm of the immune system. And this goes hand in hand together to lead to a more integrated and more effective um, immune response in the tissue. The hurdles are, however, quite quite striking because the control or the control mechanisms of the innate arm of the immune system in cancer patients is not well understood. The precise time point when to apply which form of intervention, either for the innate arm or the adaptive arm of the immune system, are still at large. So these are the important points that need to be taken care of now to allow a more coherent approach and to allow a better stratification of patients for this type of therapy. And this is not only true for colorectal cancer, but also for other cancer entities like pancreatic cancer, or ovarian cancer. So this is all different microenvironments, but also uh, requires the same understanding and the same level of um, detailed understanding of what's really happening in the tissue to allow this for this directive therapy. And this is also true for the different uh, organ sites involved, so not only the liver in terms of liver metastases, but also the lungs or the lymph node metastatic lesions. And there, the same questions apply, and our understanding needs to be much more profound in order to uh, have an orchestrated and directed approach leading to an effective immune response there. And the hurdles that are in between such an effective approach uh, is, are, are clearly those uh, sort of parts of the microenvironment that we still don't understand, but we don't have a clear-cut picture. And one problem here clearly is that, that animal models tend to um, miss the main differences between animals itself and, and a human patient in the end. And our understanding, therefore, needs to start in first place to simply characterize what is the sort of baseline status, what are the main mechanisms of immune unresponsiveness, what is there in the tumor environment to allow them for a directed uh, approach to intervene here and open the door for these patients. Thank you, Professor Halama, so much for this really, really um, comprehensive um, overview. And to all our listeners, check out the ESMA Open homepage for further podcasts. Thank you and goodbye.